video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello, you want Hello, my name's Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where we go through all of this week's Blu-rays and DVDs. And it's a big week. So many Blu-rays and DVDs this week. We're coming back from a Christmas break. And we have all the hot stuff that that money that's burning in your pocket, even though that you probably can't go into work and don't have a job, but you still need to spend, spend, spend. You gotta spend, (laughs) spend, spend, spend. So look, get ready, folks. This is our year-end mega episode. We are going to sum up a ton of stuff. So starting right from the beginning, we have Arrow's much-anticipated release of Tremors, which we've talked about previously. Yes, (laughs) like two months ago. Moving on. (laughs) Well, I mean, people, you, you said that it's sold a lot right it's been selling tons yeah and yeah it's on ultra hd now for so for all you uhd freaks out there it is uh, <laughs> were you gonna say for some reason it sounded like those were the words that were gonna leave your lips yeah right any uhd releases uh for some and, reason yeah tons of special features but when are they gonna give the big box set with all seven movies that's what i, I want <laughs> that's what arrow needs to do ultra hds on all seven tremors films <laughs> and leave a few sleeves at the end for the upcoming ones oh gonna make. god so <laughs> moving on on, we have Vigilante, the Bill Lustig film, also in 4K, because he yeah. is squeezing that teat. He is basically like, I've heard him on podcasts, he has like dollar signs in his eyes, because people just buy up these UHD releases. I just love that it's all, we've talked about this before, but I just love that it's always the same movies they've released like four or five times In the before. mid-2000s, <laughs> he got a bunch of movies. Uh, I mean, this is one that he produced himself, and I uh, he has the rights to. And so he'll release the films that he made, and then he'll release, like, you know, Daughters of Darkness. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, the Final Countdown is coming. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Maniac and New York Ripper were kind of like the prototypes for this. and like Right, Zombie. He has a bunch of Fulci titles. That he somehow owns forever? What contract did the people sign? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Blue Underground, they're like, all these filmmakers, all these producers are like chained in the basement of Blue Underground. Well, <laughs> I, I heard William Lustig said that he will not release a film unless he gets the like forever rights right. at this point. You know yeah. what? That makes sense. I mean, that... No, filmmaker, don't sign forever rights. Like... I guess it makes sense for them. It eliminates any issue of it, like, them having to take it out of print, I guess, at a certain exactly. point. Exactly. I mean, that's, remember with Arrow, they're like, we own the Django rights. I know. Well, do they now? It's coming out again, no, right? No, they don't. Finally? I think they made a deal of some they kind. They finally yeah. made a deal, yeah. <laughs> so, moving on, we have The Curse of Frankenstein, the first Frankenstein film, I believe, uh, from Hammer Films. I think so. I mean, in any case, this is a huge one this has been flying off the shelf and which and in a move that's not typical for warner archive this is actually a two disc set that is loaded with special features it's got like two versions of the films like got different aspect ratios i think uh this is a probably the biggest warner archive release of the year i want to say yeah warner archives never does special features much to my chagrin well actually you know what it's probably to my advantage because then i don't buy the films i'm like eh, i'll get it at some other point and then i just never get it they're so expensive. <laughs> For nothing. But you know what? This one is not any more expensive than the regular priced Warner Archive. So... Is this a VOD? Well, all their stuff is technically MODs, but... Yeah, MODs, They are yeah. all pressed on regular Blu-rays, so I'm not actually sure what the whole... M- a lot of people are wary about MODs because uh, they think they're going to okay. be on, like, the lower quality, like, BDRs, which I don't really think is lower quality. Which but... is funny because you can get a press disc and it's just a lower quality exactly, disc... Exactly, right? ...from the get-go. Yeah, so you get screwed. Yeah, but... 
but you know, Warner Archives are all officially pressed discs, unlike like Sony MODs or cer- certain other ones are all you know cheaper, I guess, BDRs. So moving on, we have two Mondo Macabro releases, Seven Women for Satan and Sins of the Flesh, and I put those two together because I know nothing about them other than that they're French movies, I believe. Yeah, I know Sins of the Flesh is definitely a French like erotic thriller type thing. Seven Women for Satan, I yeah, you're right, is also French. On the front, it says it's the first film that got banned in France, I think, or something like that. Um, yeah, these are a few. These are some late stragglers. These were supposed to be out, I think, at the end of November. It just, you know, Whoa. Mondo Macabro takes a long time to send us stuff. Why does it take so long? Like, that's a long I don't know. time. Are they just like a really small label and they just like their fulfillment is just like a one guy basically. do they have that much to fulfill though i don't know i mean i guess not i mean they're releasing such obscure titles you'd think not it may be like because you're ordering in bulk for some reason they ship it last like they ship it to the individual buyer true first. i mean i'm not sure we don't get it direct from mondo macabro we have like a middleman so it's i'm not sure what their hookup with them is they're the ones that always supply it but it seems like ever since I started to work here, titles from them have taken forever to come in. And a lot of their back stock stuff, back catalog stuff, when I try and order it, takes ages to come in as well. So I don't know. Maybe they just wait for a certain amount of numbers and then they just ship out mm. an order. All right. So moving on, we have a new Dark Forces release, Hollywood High and Teenage Mother. Yeah, don't know uh, much about this one. <laughs> nope, me neither. I think Hollywood High is kind of like a sex, like a generic sex comedy. One of those boner is, jams. Right? Uh, yeah, I think this is another, like, in association with Code Red release. I don't know if this was something they I mean, had. all the Dark Forces ones they pretty are, much right? are in yeah. association with Code Red. <laughs> Anything Kino didn't want, we're putting out. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so moving on, we also have Orgy of the Dead being released by Full Moon. Wait, wasn't there some kind of issue with this release that I read about online? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. But this, okay, this is maybe not. Orgy Forget of the it. Living Dead, not Orgy of the Dead. Because I think Orgy, right, Orgy of the, of the Dead. Yeah, it's the Paul Nash. It's right, because I always movie. get this confused. Because Orgy of the Dead is a Ed Wood film. Yep, That's it is right. an Ed Wood okay, film. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's a Paul Nashy film. I don't know. There's another one. At Full Moon's been starting to dig into some of these older movies for Blu-ray releases. Yeah, I mean, they have a deal with the company, and they've just been putting. Them I haven't out. heard anything about problems with this release. Uh, I mean, they advertise that it's like newly remastered and everything whatever that means but you know full moon is often putting newly remastered on their dvds so Unearthed, uh the company continues onward with another ryan nicholson film Torched. yeah what is the deal with their obsession with ryan nicholson i mean i, I get that they he love... passed away recently yeah. and maybe this is just like a retrospective thing but recently, yeah I, wasn't it like a it was a, a few number years of years ago, ago. Yeah. yeah yeah um but this one is like a short film he made too so this isn't even a feature length movie what? Uh, yeah this is <laughs> (laughs) only like half an hour 40 minutes long and from what i read on the back it's basically just torture porn it's like half an hour torture porn Uh, so yeah if you're into that i'm just not into so moving on we have the sensual jungle from cheesy flick so uh cheesy that means it's a public domain title uh i looked (laughs) into it it looks like a 60s ish jungle picture yeah yeah that's exactly what it is uh 
it's sensual, I guess, for the time. Uh, <laughs> so you must sell cheesy flicks movies, right? Because you get them in all the time. I feel like they release at least one new title a month, uh, which is, you know, a lot for them. Uh, the thing I love about cheesy flicks is not only are their like, discs pretty bargain basement and they don't have special features, even the artwork that they print out is like clearly on like lower quality paper. It's like low yeah, resolution. Yeah, it's all because we blew it <laughs> it's up. so bad. It's like they really take that cheesy uh, mantle to heart. So so we also have, oh, what's this? A new label, yeah. Cauldron Films, and their release of American Rickshaw, the Sergio Martino film. So do you know much about this label? Uh, I just heard about them yes, last month Yes, I believe so. it, it is actually run by the guy who runs Diabolic DVD. Interesting. Okay. Um yeah, I did not know that. It just showed up through one of our suppliers a month ago. We have another release from them coming up in the new section. But uh, yeah, this is a fairly, I mean, Sergio Martino is fairly hot cult name. So I guess it's a pretty good get for their first big title. I have this one because I bought it limited edition from Diabolic DVD. I don't think he's made it very public that he runs the company, but his name was on the email uh, replying from Cauldron Films. Okay, well, I'm glad we can actually get them here and they're not like exclusives just through Diabolic DVD or something. No, they love money. So they did a limited edition and this is the regular edition run. Right, right. Okay, so did the edition you get have more on it, do you think? or No, no? same disc. It's just, it has one of those hardcover slipcase things or it just has like a fancy slipcase. That's pretty much okay. it. Did you watch this yet or no? Yes, I did. And any good? I, I would rather not comment considering I am a big fan of Diabolic DVD. Okay. Uh, okay. You know what? A lot of people <laughs> like this, but this is Sergio Martino in the 80s and he is definitely, or late 80s, he is definitely not the man who made uh, 2019 after the fall of New York. And that's what, that's where I'll leave it at. Okay. Okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> but Donald Pleasance turns into a pig man at the end very briefly. Oh, I mean, that sounds like it's worth the price of admission alone. No. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Does it, doesn't this star someone like, uh, a, an American gymnast as well? Right. I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it mentioned Not that on Gaylord. the back cover. It's another guy, isn't it? Yeah. No, I remember that. Me- no, you're right. It is Mitchell. Gaylord. Oh, it is Mitchell Gaylord. Okay. Yeah. So, moving on into the classic section, we have Ameros Peros, the film by Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. Are you a big fan of this director? I was. He's definitely a director that was of a favorite. Of course you were. Of course. I mean, growing up, I mean, this was a huge movie for me growing up, you know. I, I feel no, I did not like it when really, I watched eh? it. Did you watch, like... A long time ago or more recently? Uh, or? Maybe like three, four years ago okay. I watched it. Well, to be fair, yeah, I haven't watched this since I saw it as a teenager. And I saw this and 21 Grams, which I believe was his follow-up. Pretty cool. I saw 21 Grams in theaters. 21 Grams, man. That's what leaves your body oh, when man. you die. I loved that movie when I saw it in theaters. It was like my favorite movie that year. So, like, I had to watch Morris Paris. Loved that, too. And, yeah, I... Uh, I didn't like Babel as much. I, I, that was kind of uh, I was kind of, I found that one kind of boring. But you know, I have to admit, I enjoyed The Revenant for what it was. I thought that was like a fun ride. Oh, I liked The Revenant. Yeah, I thought that was good. Uh, I liked Birdman a lot at the time when I saw it. Although I haven't revisited. I know I got a lot of backlash <laughs> afterwards. But when I first saw it in theaters, I thought it was a lot of fun. What has he even done since The Revenant? Has he done anything? I think the or Revenant has it? been it, it, I right? believe. Yeah. So yeah. I, I know he's kind of gotten a lot of backlash over the years. He's gotten like almost two popular and now people don't like him and apparently he's like a jerk on set right i think there was all that oh is he oh boo. yeah i think on the revenant he and tom hardy got into like a fist fight on it and he was just like one of those kind of like ragey sort of like i guess like kubrickian sort of directors which i don't know i could get take or leave it's, my way, it's my way or the highway. highway but you know i can't deny he's got 
artistry like he's a good director he makes really solid entertaining movies and uh, yeah and I guess you know this is as good a place to start for any for Criterion to start putting out his stuff because the only there were only bare bones releases of this movie before so I don't know I mean I, I like Gail Garcia Bernal a lot and he's great in this isn't it uh, fascinating how The Revenant has kind of been forgotten completely like no one talks about The Revenant anymore I know and it's weird he won like what best director two years in a row like and he was like the hottest thing in film and now it's like yeah i'm just trying to think like has he done anything lately like i never really think about him until this release came so out. so we also have from warner archives the shop around the corner the ernst lubitsch film with my uh good friend jimmy stewart Your good friend. and this is the uh weaker version of you got mail there is no serial killer in this version <laughs> the weaker version of you got mail yeah uh, this <laughs> this one has taken forever to come to Blu-ray, too. It seems like every Christmas people are asking when the shop around the corner is going to come out. Because the DVD has been out of print for, like, years, You're too. You're like, I don't know. Have you checked around the corner? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. You've been you're saving that one up. Uh, yeah. I was workshopping it. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, never seen this movie, but I've definitely seen You've Got Mail. So, I mean, that kind of half counts, right? Do they catch the serial killer at the end of that movie? I forget. <laughs> I, d- I don't know. I was like... I feel like I was 10 years old when I saw that. You Got Mail has an amazing plot where it's about how Tom Hanks, like, shuts down the business of his romantic... It's Meg Ryan. Yeah, Meg Yeah, because he's, like, some corporate bigwig, right? And it and just ends like... with the shop closing down and, like, you can't save it. <laughs> I the know, end. right? Yeah. <laughs> but they're Give in love, up. though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember he lives yeah, on, like, a houseboat corner. or something. Uh, yeah, great movie. Super charming. Love it. I mean, it's no You've Got Mail. All right, so moving on. <laughs> we have Holiday Affair. I'm not... A familiar with this one starring janet lee and robert mitchum yeah this is one i was never really familiar with until warner archive first put it out on dvd about either last year or the year before so even before that it wasn't available at all uh but it's been a pretty big seller on dvd it's been selling well on blu-ray i think people just love robert mitchum you know robert mitchum always sells well whatever you put him in whether it's like westerns noirs comedies dramas and you know who doesn't like Robert Mitchum around the holidays? People who don't like smoking the grass, man. Yeah. That's what the Mitchum heads love. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So we also have It Happened on Fifth Avenue, which has the funniest uh, synopsis that I've <laughs> read. It really? It says, what is this a about? New Yorker hobo moves into a mansion, and along the way, he gathers friends to live in the house with him. Before uh, he knows it, he is living with the actual homeowners. Oh, I don't know if hobo is something that gets used very often. Not really. I feel like I haven't used that since I was a teenager. But, you know, that sounds like a very relevant plot to today's uh, to, in today's day and age. Yeah, though. cut those rich, 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 fat cats throats and drink their blood. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't think that it ends the way Parasite does. I bet you this one ends with, like, you know, uh, the poor person you know he's kind of magical and teaches the rich people lessons um, i don't know if this is a christmas movie or not but they're definitely selling it like it's a holiday classic i, I wasn't really aware of that but uh well by the time people are listening to this christmas is over no more holidays no one wants to watch these movies throw them in the garbage <laughs> yeah you can't possibly watch a christmas movie not in december right? no what are you are you a madman are you crazy <laughs> yeah get out of here <laughs> so we also have mr roberts uh another one archive release this one stars Henry Fonda. Mr. Roberts is an officer who's yearning for battle, but is stuck in the backwater of World War II on a non-commissioned Navy ship run by the bullying Captain Morton. 
Boo, World War II. <laughs> Boo, your favorite genre. I mean, this is a John Ford joint, so I guess that's oh, why. Oh, this is like scraping that bottom of the barrel, the Ford uh, barrel. I know, I know. I mean, oh, man, so wait, Warner Archives is getting into it too? Everyone, like I said, did the, like, the rights lapse for like a bunch of Ford films? What's going I, uh, on? They always, uh, Warner always owned Mr. Roberts. They put out the DVD, and I think it's just been a matter of time before they're going to put out the Blu-ray. I don't know if this film's good or not. I mean, people, it definitely rents it sells because of just the name pedigree but well we haven't seen it mark so it could be great let's say that right i throw there. that around all the time yeah that sounds boring <laughs> we encourage you to buy it on yeah. But, yeah. Yes. look if you like mr roberts you like mr roberts all yeah right? if you like um what is it mr holland's opus anything with mr yeah, in the title. right <laughs> uh mr brooks the kevin costner serial killer film great great film great film we are very uh great dane cook performance we are very pro uh mr movies mr movies here <laughs> So we also have Young Man with a Horn. This is a Michael Curtiz film starring Kurt Douglas. And it's about legendary trumpeteer Art Hazard. Oh, what a name. Who teaches Art young Hazard, Rick yeah. Martin everything he knows about playing. So Rick becomes a star uh, musician, but a troubled marriage and a desire to play pure jazz instead of commercial swing songs cause him problems. Uh he is he is the young man with a horn. So we also have the Harvey Girls, um, a film starring Judy Garland, where she probably sings a bunch of songs. Right? She does, yeah. This is also very popular. People love their Judy Garland, and yeah, it seems like the musicals that Warner Archive put out sell very very well. So I feel that like a lot of them are like um, mid tier ones that people haven't thought about for a long time. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So that's why, like, oh, I remember this and that you know it's easier to check out in that yeah because i think regard. a lot of these were released by warner on dvd like in the early days of dvd like very first kind of wave of dvds but then haven't really been you know remastered or redone or re-released since then so yeah you're right i think it might be this new discovery so we also have tex avery cartoon classics volume two huge release people love their tex uh, and avery. these cartoons have not been available in any good form for a long time so people are really excited for these finally to come out in the best available versions and this one includes Little Rural Riding Hood probably one of Tex Avery's most famous cartoons the wolf being like woo 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 slobbering all over himself eyes popping <laughs> right, out right. it includes six droopy dog cartoons probably Tex Avery's most popular creation yeah I would say so and don't forget to Spike the Bulldog shorts everybody loves Spike the Bulldog <laughs> right sure you know sure <laughs> And, you know, a grab bag of other ones. I love the first one. Watched every cartoon on it. Enjoyed it immensely. And I picked this up the second it hit the shelves. Oh, yeah. No, I would say volume one, which came out, I guess, back in February. Geez, like pre-COVID. I eh? remember that time. Uh, that was probably our one of our best sellers of the year. People can't get enough of this show. Or these cartoons. So uh, there's this one also includes a hour-long a documentary that played in 1988. Why can't they just get new stuff? Put it out nah, there. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, can't they get any new for such a big release like this? They can't get any new sort of oh no interviews. New anything? I'm looking here at some write-ups and people are like Tex Avery Cl Screwball Classics Volume Two 
is a disaster visually. No, don't tell that me that. There's a bunch of digital noise reduction on the shorts and they added uh, sharpening. And why, why would they do that? Why would they do that? I thought we were done. Yeah, I thought we were done with DNR. I felt like that was a thing. Like, of the wouldn't past. you just like scan it, you know, remove any blemishes, but, you know, don't do any sharpening or noise reduction because the nerds are going to jump all over you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So moving on, we have, my God, we have so much. We have Mutiny from 1952 star. Starring, uh, starring, directed by Edward Dimitrik, and it's about a British boat. I assume there's a mutiny that happens yeah, on it. Yeah, this is during the War of 1812. This is a lesser-known Edward Dimitrik film, but VCI is, like, really putting this out there as brand new 4k restoration they're really you know selling this one hard so i guess you know it's war stuff that stuff always does well for us um but yeah i don't think this has really been seen much in a long time and hey look classic flicks is uh back to try to sell you another um un- very little loved film by a classic comedy duo previously they did the laurel and hardy film where one of them was not there and replaced by harry langdon and now they got a night in casablanca the marx brothers film wait is this film like in public domain how come they got their hands on this one uh i think it is in public domain but i think people like this film do they not this one's been selling this one's been selling better than a lot of the other classic flicks titles and i feel like it's one of the more well-known marx brothers and what films. classic flicks does is i believe they do like new masters they do a bunch of special features yeah it's not a bad package um but yeah i mean they've basically been doing way more obscure obscure uninteresting films lately Classic so you're muscling in on the uh golden ninja video territory they are they are but you're right i think this is actually looking here there's no commentary it's all like a bunch of um uh retro features from like you know there's like commercials promoting night of casablanca uh, audio experts of excerpts of the Marx Brothers on stage. Right, right. Come on, guys. You couldn't get a Marx Brother expert in, in there? Yeah, you couldn't get commentary from the Marx Brothers on there? Jeez. Uh, oh, yeah, because they did Africa Screams as they well. Did. The yeah, they did. Yeah, that film. one did not sell well. Really? Yeah. And they went all out for that one. There's, like, commentary, cartoons. Yeah, that was a special and... edition. Like, they, I don't don't think this one's labeled a special edition, but that one certainly so was. So, that's why also I'm like, it's not a very popular one for those particular reasons. <laughs> Yeah. Moving on, we have the Ip Man Complete Collection. This is the Donnie Yen Ip Man, I, I think, or are they trying to put one on us? Yeah, and it's, it's not... all four of the films. It doesn't include the prequel one, I guess. Yeah, well, the I don't think that was technically an official one at the time. Yeah, or the Anthony Wong last one. So yeah, if you like Ip Man, you like Donnie Yen, pick it up. We also uh, have... yeah, they're on Ultra HD now. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, those Chinese films look like crap. Like, all Chinese blockbusters do not look good. So, I don't know why you would want it in UHD other than, like, a knee-jerk reaction. So, you know, you could probably stick with your... Yeah, because there's, like, a Blu-ray collection of these movies for much cheaper than this is going to be. So, I mean, it isn't in, like, a fancy box and everything. But if that's... If you don't really care about that, I'm not sure if it's worth the upgrade. So, we also have Paranoia Agent, the complete series. This is a big one because it's Satoshi... Khan? Yeah, Satoshi Khan, I think. Uh, the director of Perfect Blue, uh, Tokyo Godfather's Paprika, and this. And this, yeah, this is, yeah, this is a huge one. Oh, Millennium Actress is his other one. Right, yeah, this is a huge one, though, you're right, because people, this is a miniseries that he made about 15 years ago, or early 2000s, I think, and it just hasn't been available in any sort of North American region disc 
ever. Like you can import DVDs, I think, from Japan or something like that. But um, this is just something that um, people have clamored for ever since he like started really blowing up. I would say after maybe Paprika, I think people started really like getting into his stuff again. And everybody, I've been asked so many times about when this show is coming out, if it's available. And now it's finally here, so thankfully Funimation has stepped up to the plate. I figured, I thought Shout Factory might get on this first, but Funimation got there, so good on them. So we also have ugh, Castle in the Sky and Spirited Away, Steelbooks. We could just play. <laughs> I don't know what, like, these are the exact, I don't know what G-Kids and Shout are thinking. Like these are They just, just keep putting them out, it feels. Like, they just keep cycling, yeah. And Spirited Away, they've already put out in, like, a special edition that was that big book set, I think, that we talked about last year. Now they're putting it out again as a steel book, like, but it's just the same edition. Like, there's nothing new on it other than it's just a steel book. So we also have two films by directed by Frank Perry, Ladybug, Ladybug, and Diary of a Mad Housewife. I believe it, it, were these co-directed with his wife, or was she just um, really involved on the producer and writing side? Uh, I don't think they. I think she was just involved, really involved on the producing and writing side, if I remember. Correctly. I have not yeah. seen either of these, but I do like frank perry he's the guy who did uh the swimmer and i've also seen uh david and lisa which is also very good yeah no he definitely has a cult following um and i think he's getting bigger these days these two films have sold really well so clearly there's a lot of people that have been waiting for these to come out because they haven't been available at all on dvd or blu-ray before um but they have really interesting premises like the premise of ladybug ladybug alone just kind of like post-apocalyptic um sounds really fascinating so i want to check his stuff well, out. technically not post-apocalyptic it's i believe there's an announcement yeah that the bombs are going to drop and everybody's sent home and you see how all the kids deal with it so we also have puzzle of a downfall child a faye dunaway picture i'm not that familiar with even though i feel like i've heard the title before. yeah this is one of those i've heard the title a lot people have asked for it a lot over the years hasn't uh, ever been available and now kino is finally stepping up here um don't know much about this either though um other than you know jerry schatzberg yeah i know the name but it's not someone who i associate with like oh i like that yeah no it's just like i mean i like the he did panic in needle park which i really do like uh uh, Al Pacino's early film where he plays a drug Yeah, addict. he did Scarecrow. Oh, he did Scarecrow too, yeah. And Honeymoon Rose. Right. So I think his Stark, I mean, I feel like he made his biggest films that in the early 70s and then <laughs> not so much after that. So we also have the 300-year weekend. A doctor spends 24 hours in a clinic with a group of patients. Each character has his or her own story to tell about their fathers, mother, or spouses who don't understand them. Is this a TV movie? This is a TV movie, yeah. So this is another TV movie that Kino has put out. I believe it's a tv movie or maybe i'm mistaken yeah yeah i looked it up and like on letterbox there wasn't one review of it which made me think oh okay (laughs) there's something odd going on here Ooh, he is a uh it's directed by victor stoloff great title uh directed she gods of shark reef which is a roger corman or did he produce why is his name on it yeah i'm just looking here but what did he do oh wow he passed away in 2009 and he was born in 1913. Wow, he was around for a long time. He almost made it to 100. He almost mm. made oh, it. Oh, he wrote She Gods of Shark Reef. Yeah, he doesn't really have that many credits, though, as a director, at least, um, or anything else for that matter. So it's interesting. I'm looking at another, uh, like, a 
film he made after this called Why. <laughs> Which is like basically seems like the same premise. A group therapy session takes place involving a drummer from a suddenly defunct rock band, an athlete, and a pregnant junkie. Sounds great. And it stars OJ Simpson. Ooh. So moving on, we have Bodies Rest in Motion. Rebelling against his dreary life in a small Arizona town, salesman Nick abandons his girlfriend and strikes out on the highway in search of something else. Uh, okay. I'm surprised I haven't seen this movie. But wait, wait, wait. This seems like something you know, that you yeah, would this see. This was yeah. definitely... I remember <laughs> just seeing this around in the video store and everything. I think this was like one of a more minor film from the early 90s, like Sundance independence film boom. Oh, yeah. This is like... Listen to this cast. Bridget Fonda, Tim Roth, and Eric Stoltz, and Phoebe Cates. That's like all of the rejects of like the Tarantino movie. That movies. all like <laughs> screams to me like, you must watch this. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, this is directed by Michael Steinberg. The who... director of The Cave? I'm looking at his credits right now. So. Yeah, he wrote he wrote The Cave, oh, but, okay. uh, which is a terrible, terrible movie. He also directed Wicked with Julia Stiles, which is kind of like a Poison Ivy um, sort of like ripoff that she was in, but it's like way trashier. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then did a movie called The Water Dance before, which I know was more popular in terms of those like early 90s independent films. But uh, yeah, this one. Oh, yeah. Eric Stoltz, Helen Hunt, and Wesley Snipes. I know, Stipes. right? No, people often like, people have a fondness for that one. We often get, that one rents a lot. We often get asked about that. But Bodies Rest in Motion, eh, I don't know. I mean, I like the cast. I'll say that. The cast is cool. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd give it a go. Shocked you haven't watched I know. it. I, I should. I so should. So we also have Coward of the County and Wild Horses. It's a Kenny Rogers double feature. We'll leave it at that. Moving on. So we have Sweetgrass. Mm, this seems up Mark's alley. Have you seen this? A documentary about an unsentimental elegy, elegy to the American West. Oh, God. Yeah. This is right up my alley for one reason. It's about sheep. Lots of sheep. <laughs> you and love, I love sheep. sheep. Um, yeah, this is a really, really great documentary from about a decade ago. Uh, it also came out of the Harvard Ethnographic Lab, which we were talking yeah, about and I was like, a few Harvard. weeks ago for another film. And you were like, <laughs> yeah. But this is awesome. Basically, yeah, it's very kind of experiential, naturalistic doc where the directors just follow. Experiential? What does because that word you, mean? Uh, you just kind of experience this, um, what's happening in it. Sounds like a made-up word to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a real word. No, I think you made that I up, I put Mark. on my highfalutin. Not going to look it up either. My wordsmith hat today. <laughs> um, yeah, I watch people look it up and they're like, that's not a real word. <laughs> but I'm making it a real word now. Um, but yeah, basically. The filmmakers just follow uh, a group of shepherds in the summer of 2003 as they herd their sheep um, basically from the Beartooth Mountains in Montana to the extreme northwest of the United States. So it's a long journey. It's basically the last time they were going to do this because modern technology and everything, you don't really need to herd all these sheep like the way they used to anymore. So it was kind of like a final, you know, elegy to that. Um, just a really beautiful film, though. And it's got a lot of moments of humor in it because the farmers are. Or, or sorry, the shepherds are all um, like really kind of coarse and uh, there's funny like they have just funny moments and everything. So it kind of um, it's just like a really cool, calm, funny, interesting documentary that looks beautiful. Uh, it's never been on Blu-ray before. It was on DVD. But um, yeah, if you just like really kind of like poetically beautiful docs like I do, 
Check this out. So we also have Gun Crazy being released by MVD Rewind. And it's a classic Joseph H. Lewis. No, it's not. It's the one where Drew Barrymore takes a naked shower, which is all seemingly that happened in this movie, according to the internet. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, that's all that anybody cares about. Oh, no. And it's this week's Blind Buy. Yeah, Blind Buy. And yeah, this this was this would definitely be an automatic blind buy for me because I love Drew Barrymore and I particularly love this early '90s period of trashy movies that Drew Barrymore made. Well, are you not also a big Tamara Half Baked Davis fan, the director of this film? Uh, I am, but not because of Half Baked, which I actually don't really find that funny. Uh, yeah, um, never been a fan. I know why. Billy Madison. Billy Madison, you got it. Or Crossroads. <laughs> uh, you know, I am. I am a fan of Crossroads too. I'm not going to lie. That Luke Wilson film she made. Listen, there's a 50 minute doc on this fi- on this Blu-ray, and I yeah, watched it. Well, about her career. as is the norm for MVD, they cut co- these things come loaded. But we should probably set up this film first. What is Gun yep, Crazy? We didn't even say that this film is written by Matthew Bright, the guy who wrote the two Freeway movies as well and directed And you them. can kind of see this movie as like a prototype for Freeway. I feel like this is the less crazy version of Freeway, maybe. I was shocked to learn that Tamara Davis was just uh, childhood friends with Matthew Bright. And she read one of the scripts that he wrote and she was the one shopping it around. She wanted to get this film made. It wasn't like something she fell onto. This was like kind of a passion yeah, project Yeah, that's cool because I, I didn't realize when I was reading into her she was obviously a big music video director and she was pretty active in like the 80s art scene underground art scene like she was friends with Jean-Michel Basquiat made a documentary about him later on um so yeah I guess this was her first feature and I can see yeah she was kind of it seems like more of a passion project than just some sort of like for hire job that seemed like kind of marked a lot of her later films like Billy Madison or Half-Baked. So basically like every film that she would make from this uh, this one onward. I still love her films but yeah I feel like this one felt way more like a passion project for her than anything else. So the plot is Drew Barrymore is a I'm trying to find a polite way to yeah. say it. Oh, trashy I guess. It's trashy like a, yeah. yeah. A trailer Whoa. park living um, woman she is in high school and she does not have a good life. She lives with Andy Warhol superstar. What's his name? Mark? Joe D'Alessandro. Bill D'Alessandro. And uh, she starts a pen pal relationship with 90s indie hunk James LeGros. Love you, James. When he gets out of jail, they get together and trouble starts brewing. You know, what's funny about this movie is that it's not what I thought it was going to be, reading the synopses of it and knowing who wrote yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was honestly a little more tame than I thought it was going to be. I guess I thought it was going to be like real like balls to the wall like Freeway was. And a lot of the plot synopses basically just focus on how much of like a loose woman drew barrymore is and how she gets like raped a bunch which does happen um i think they do it in a very um respectable way i got tamra davis definitely has a good handle on the material um but uh yeah i guess i was expecting more of like the in-your-face trashiness of like reese witherspoon's character from freeway um, whereas this is more of like a more of a love story, I guess it's a lot sweeter and softer. Yeah. yeah and it's like the characters don't really want to commit crimes like throughout the movie. Yeah. And yeah, they also say like Drew Barrymore's character wants to re-corrupt James LeGros. But I, I didn't feel like that was necessarily the main goal of it. Like, yeah, they do kind of go on the run and they become this lovers on the run sort of thing and they end up killing people. But it does only seem because... 
it's something they have to do out of necessity because nobody will leave them alone or just let them live their lives, basically. A lot of people say it's like Bonnie and Clyde. There's only one robbery in this movie and they feel so bad about robbing the people. They give all the money back. Yeah, I, I honestly feel bad for them. So uh, especially James Legro, who really does seem to want to make a new life for himself. And yeah, even though he's like gets out of prison and like, you know, marries a what 17 year old girl potentially maybe 18 yeah so there's definitely some don't worry don't worry snake uh priest billy drago approves yep, he approves <laughs> he approves so that's all you need um but yeah i mean despite that he does seem like just a good guy who wants to get his life back on track and everybody wants to stop that from happening like billy drago he kind of you know frowns on the relationship even though he gets them married uh more so his parole officer played by michael ironside won't leave him alone but I, I don't feel like the violence even starts until they're really, like, pushed into a corner, right? The first bit of on-screen violence is uh, accidental because someone uh, – gun is held against them. You're and right. then someone yeah. else is like, no, don't shoot them. And by doing that, the gun goes off. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I like this movie a lot. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm not sure I liked it as much as Matthew Bright's uh, other directorial stuff. Like, I, I prefer the Freeway movies a little bit more, but I had a good time with this, and I thought Drew Barrymore was really charming. I thought the whole cast was really charming. It has a really cool look to it, cool soundtrack. Um, and even though you know where it's going to go, like, you've definitely seen this kind of movie before, it just... I don't know. It packed a punch for me. It just was a really entertaining ride. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that if you go in knowing it's going to be much more lower key than even like the poster art would lead you to believe, you'll have a better time with it. It is very visually slick. Like Tamara Davis is trying to show off, but she's also seemingly not trying to show off in that kind of music video director way. Uh, she says a lot in the special features that she always wanted to make movies, but no one would hire her. Uh, so she had to direct like 100 music videos before she could finally get the money to make Gun Crazy. And thanks to Drew Barrymore signing on. They that must have had a pretty good friendship because uh, she Drew Barrymore was in a lot of further Tamara Davis films. So, yeah, I think that definitely you can see it's, it's a strong collaboration between director and star. Uh, Tamara Davis mentions that when uh, they were shooting Gun Crazy, it was the period that Drew Barrymore was emancipating herself from her parents. Right. So Drew Barrymore was uh, living with Tamara Davis. At the oh, time. interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, you can really sense like the chemistry between director and star in it for sure. And um, yeah, I feel like this one gets lumped in a lot with a lot of the bad movies that Drew Barrymore made in that time. But no, I feel like, you know, Drew Barrymore made a lot of similar kind of looking movies around this time, uh, especially with like road trip aspects in it. I feel like that was a big thing for her career around this time. But this one is probably this one deserves more credit. It did uh, play at uh, the Toronto Film Festival. I think that's where it premiered. But then I believe it went straight to TV. I think it was like a showtime, right? So it never really got like a big theatrical release. It never really got, I guess, the, I don't know, the notice it should have. But... I'm glad it's getting this kind of deluxe special edition. It is a film that, especially if you're a Drew Barrymore fan, uh, it's a really good time. It's a I mean, really if fun you're one. curious about this film, this film, uh, this Blu-ray is packed with special features. There's a commentary with Tamara Davis and Drew Barrymore. I believe it's an archival one from a, probably a decade ago. There's a 90-minute documentary that interviews basically everyone except for Drew Barrymore. And there is a 50-minute interview with Tamara Davis about her career, which is very interesting because you don't usually get a perspective like that from someone who, from all intents and purposes, is a journey person, director. 
Yeah, it. totally. And it, it's a shame she hasn't. I was looking up her uh, her credits, and I don't think she's directed a film in quite a well, while. Well, basically, she says in the documentary that she had kids, and that kind of like disconnected her from being able to follow a feature directorial schedule and she got really into television so she's been directing television since then she says she's very happy doing okay cool it. well i would still love to see another tamron davis film at some point um yeah but i would too so maybe if you buy gun crazy it yeah. will give her the enthusiasm to keep on going so yeah i would definitely recommend this as a blind buy uh oh easy blind buy recommendation. Film, like just yeah like you said the special features alone the package alone mbd just always does a great job on these so Ooh, yeah. mbd finally did what i wanted them to do which is the uh, cover is now flippable. So it has like the original VHS art on one side. So you can have, you know, I believe in their earlier releases, it was just like a slipcase. And then the cover was just a slipcase image. And that's it. That's all you get. So Okay, okay. Well, now I would like for them to put out the other early 90s Drew Barrymore film Doppelganger. So I, <laughs> I hope they get on that because that is also a good time. <laughs> so we also have more releases. Yes, that's right. We're not done with We're classic films yet. We're not even done here. We're almost I done. I mean, I don't know what this one's doing in the classic section. Actually, the, the next few, I'm very... Um, questionable about these choices we have high it's our friends at liberation hall we have high risk from as mark just said liberation hall from the director of tammy and the t-rex four american friends badly needing money decide to make a commando-like raid into a south american drug lords compound i'm sure it's very tasteful and politically correct I mean, this cast is great, though. James Brolin, Anthony Quinn, James Coburn, Ernest Borgnine, Bruce Davison. You got a whole uh, rogues gallery of uh, action stars. Here, is it a I TV guess. movie of some kind? Is that why Liberation no, Hall is putting this it is out? A th- this is a theatrical film. Uh, yeah, this is actually a theatrical film. Um, yeah, I don't know much about it. Um, and obviously, it's DVD only. They don't. Um, usually they don't do any special features, but I believe this one has a commentary on it, actually, which is surprising to me. I don't know who it is, but there's a thing on the back that just says brand new commentary, and that's it. So, I don't know. Stuart Raffle, Probably maybe? Steve Raffle, because, yeah, he's 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 been going around. Uh, like he's, but he's very like sleepy when he does his commentary. So yeah, I mean, I am a fan of him. You know, Tammy and the T Rex, great time. He's he's made a <laughs> lot of Mac and me, great time. You know, just those two films alone have really solidified him as a legend in my mind. But uh, so yeah. moving on, we have Jane in the Lost City from another big time director, the guy who made Hawk the Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So I'm looking here. I guess Liberation Hall made a deal with like African based movies because Jane and the Colonel was journey to africa to the lost city to retrieve diamonds before the nazis do. oh interesting this is based is this a comic strip adaptation or something it yep, is right it's based on a comic strip i feel maybe like a newspaper comic strip this definitely has fan i mean this was on dvd before i believe anchor bay put this out way back in the day um and it's just been out of print for a while but we sold a bunch of these when it came out so i feel like there are a certain generation of people who saw this maybe as like a kid growing up uh and liked it but uh yeah i can't say i know much about this film either the film or the comic strip i mean it stars everyone's favorite flash gordon sam jones so i mean there you go that's all you need to know we have another liberation hall because the hits just don't stop coming we got Keys to Tulsa, a film that was supposed to be our blind buy until Mark watched 10 minutes <laughs> yeah, and said, I can't uh, do I, this. I mixed this one. I, I was very excited to check this one out because this is a 1997 film, I believe. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that's late um, for Pulp Fiction. Starring uh, 
Eric Stoltz, who we have talked about already on this podcast. We got James Spader in here. We got Cameron Diaz in an early role. Deborah Kara Unger, uh, Michael Rooker, Mary Tyler Moore's in this. James Coburn. How could this not be good, Mark? I knew going in that this was supposed to be like a Tarantino ripoff, one of many that came out at this time. And yeah, it's basically kind of takes noir tropes and Tarantino tropes and just mashes them together and kind of gives you this movie where it's a bunch of like frantic criminal types, you know, cracking jokes and getting involved in schemes and everything. This this movie was just terrible right from the start, though, mainly because it was just trying really hard to be funny. And it's just not funny at all. And all the... All the actors are really over the top in that, like, campy sort of, like, southern gothic kind of way, but uh, none of them are good in it at all. Eric Stoltz is the lead in this, and he is such an unappealing, like, he's supposed to be this, like, womanizer kind of, uh, womanizer guy about town, and, like, you're just thinking, this guy, like, he's just so, he's just so bland and lame in it that you can't even imagine anybody would be into him. And then more so than anything, they really go hard on the racial humor that Tarantino mined, which was part of the reason I turned it off. Not because I was like, uh, I mean, I I guess I could say I was sort of offended by it. Um, But yeah, there's an early exchange between Eric Stoltz and another female character, both white characters. And uh, and the director of this and the screenwriters are all white. Everybody's white who's involved in this movie. And there's this whole like exchange, jokey exchange about using the N word and where they're actually using the N word in a bunch of different comedic joke settings. And like I think what this guy's trying to do is director Leslie Grief is try to play off that Tarantino like hey we can just throw around racial slurs but if it's in like the name of comedy or like some kind of wit then it's it's fine right it's fine yeah like Sarah Silverman did right <laughs> yeah exactly and it's just like uh even like I mean that's like touchy and something like when you go back and watch like Pulp Fiction now you see those kind of things it's almost like a, uh, but even like at least in Pulp Fiction, I can understand it more. This was just like two random wealthy white characters just dropping the end bomb because it's like an easy joke. Honestly, it's just <laughs> which Eric Stoltz did, which Eric Pulp Stoltz Fiction. did. So like, there's not even like say what you will about Tarantino's usage of it, and I don't necessarily think it's all that great how much he uses it. But at least he tries to couch it in some sort of contextual situation where you can kind of understand from the characters. This just felt like. This guy just likes Tarantino and he's just trying to like redo that kind of comedy. But like if you have like white actors throwing around the N-bomb and there's like no like wit or context or anything to it, then you got a problem. So, yeah, I I turned this one off about 20 minutes in because I just like you kind of get the idea of what this movie is. And that's about that. Um, Yeah. Director Leslie Grief is just like a producer guy too, just some like old white producer yeah he's a yeah. big old white guy like you see the name leslie and you're like "Ooh, is it a woman is it a different person nope just a white guy yeah no that's what i thought at first i was like oh that could be interesting but no th- this is one of only two movies he directed i think the other one being this really bad looking chevy chase comedy called funny money which came out years later and i always remember the cover of but um yeah this is 
a terrible movie. Sorry, sorry, Eric Stoltz. I love you, but uh, this is a bad so one. So we also have two releases from Indie Picks, and it's part of their collection. What was it called? About uh, African cinema in apartheid. Yeah, so their Retro Africa collection. They've put out a few of these over the past couple of years, and they're all films that are insanely hard to find any information on. Even on IMDb, a lot of these titles I'll look up and I that doesn't even bring up an IMDb page because they basically only got like regional play in the 70s or 80s and that was it. Um, but Indie Picks, I'm not sure how they got the rights to these or how they kind of got went down this road, but um, they've been unearthing these and putting them out on DVD. And these two that are coming out this week, one is called Trompy and the other is called Upondo and Kinsella. Uh, Trompy apparently is a a children's film that was fairly big or based on a book that was big or something in the 70s. Yeah, like a, a children's series uh, written by Topsy Smith. Yes. Um, I mean, it is a white kid in South Africa and his white friends. So uh, I think the one thing about these movies is that they're all directed and produced by white people from what I've been able to kind of discern. So that's something that's a little, eh, like, okay, I'm not sure. I, I would like to check some of these out just to see what it's about. Like, I've never really seen, you know, in terms of South Africa, so South African cinema in general is kind of hard to see or hard to get, and I'd like to see some of this retro stuff. But yeah, I, I didn't realize at first it was all from, like, kind of an exclusively white perspective. And I don't know anything about the other movie because I can't find any information on it. I know, you can't. But I mean, they put, like, they've got really cool covers. They look really fun. Like, these were are kind of the things I would blind buy. Like, if I was just, if I just saw these in a store, just because... It's something I've never heard of. Looks kind of interesting, and I, I'm just all I'm down for that. So yeah, I would say you know maybe give them a try. I think in tr I think they have a deal with these with Amazon Prime in the U.S. Although if you're in Canada, I don't think you can watch them. But if you're in the U.S., I think you can watch all these on Amazon Prime too. So maybe you can like take a look there and see if you like them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I just I'm all for companies putting out you know stuff that is like really never seen the light of day since it's like initial release and with that we move on to new stuff new, 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 new. and my god there's a lot which is why i enjoy that i don't have to do this take it away Mark. all right well you know what let's do rapid fire through these because you know there's a lot of i big... thought we were making good time but i just looked we're 50 minutes oh my in. god all right we'll go fast here these are a lot of big movies so this is basically everything that came out in the last three weeks of the year so Let's go fast. And if you have anything to say, uh, you just chime in, Justin. All right. All right. Yep. First up, we got Tenet. Tenet. I've seen it. I know Mark has it because this is not the kind of movies that he watches. Uh, it's fine. Uh, I have seen this, actually. Oh, you have seen it. What? Why? Because uh, I like Christopher Nolan. I, oh, I, was a, okay. I was a Christopher Nolan fan at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this, too, actually. I, I didn't mind it. I don't think it's, like, amazing. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, an Inception type thing, although I enjoyed Inception more than this. But Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I Maybe it's just been – it's been so long since I've seen, like, a new blockbuster movie that it just felt kind of refreshing to see something that was, like, pretty well-made and just, like, on a massive, like, big budget. I don't know. I, I like the time aspect of it. I like the weird stuff he's doing. I thought you the, understood everything that was going on, uh, right? Not really, no. But you know what? I just, <laughs> yeah. kind of, I just let it wash over me, you know? I think yeah. I had a vague understanding of everything that's going on. And I thought the action sequences were really well done. So, you know, I like that. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I quite like this one. Uh, maybe I'm being generous just because I haven't seen anything like it recently. But... Yeah, I mean, Mr. Woodcock, a.k.a. Christopher Nolan, he um, he's just so serious. He's such like a bummer, like as a person. Yeah, I feel like he could lighten up a little bit and have more fun with this premise. But 
I don't for what it is, I I think it was a good time. I, I, you know, it does feel kind of like a James Bond movie to me. A lot of people have said that, and I guess it's just been. I really like those kind of like big. Uh, globe spanning sort of action epics and I just feel like there hasn't been a James Bond movie in a long time or like a Mission Impossible movie and this kind of you know filled that void for me this year so uh, but yeah moving on we got The Nest which is a big potential Oscar contender I guess this year since there's not much coming out uh, this is a drama with Jude Law and Carrie Coon uh, from the director of Martha Marcy May Marlene uh, Sean Durkin he basically this is a drama about a uh, British guy played by Jude Law in the 80s who moves his American family back to Britain into like a mansion and basically their finances start to crumble and you know cracks start to form it's very John Cheever-esque I really like this movie I thought it was really well done definitely the kind of like almost Oscar Beatty type movie that still like feel is is good Mm. though it's not like too far into the Oscar bait realm Um, but yeah I really enjoyed this if you like kind of like John Cheever-esque um explorations into like the nuclear family and like how it kind of falls apart this is a really good one for that uh moving on we've got kajillionaire the new miranda july film who i'm a big fan of i've been waiting for her to make another film for a long long time (laughs) she was too busy taking dumps in frying pans mark did you read that article i did hear about that yeah so well now she's you know done with that back on making movies this one was like uh, a big hit at sundance i think it was supposed to play at can before that got canceled um i thought this one was okay did you yeah. see this no i didn't see it. uh yeah this one i did not like as much as her earliest earlier stuff it's you hated of- it mark it's okay throw miranda july into the river it's just you know what it's like a crime comedy it's kind of like a con man sort of comedy about like a family of codman and it kind of reminds you of like a matchstick men sort of thing but like with a quirkier vibe <laughs> of course the classic matchstick the thing men. that kind of bothered me with this is it's just too whimsical for me i'm just not a whimsy kind of person so there's just a lot of whimsy in this and isn't miranda july all about whimsy though like her films are filled with people that. say that but i always found her stuff to have a bit more of an edge to it that i really liked especially with me and you and everyone we know like yeah on the surface it's kind of has this whimsical sort of vibe but i always thought she was really edgy when it came to portraying relationship stuff this one to me just feels like a whimsical con man comedy and that's kind of it it doesn't really do much else for me so yeah it was kind of whatever about it um but yeah moving on well richard jenkins actually was in kajillionaire and he's also in the next movie on this list the last shift which is about him he's about to retire oh a desperate green book like grab for attention i know right like i think this was a you know played at sundance and now it's just coming out now yeah he plays an old guy who's retiring from his job at a burger place i think or something and forms a relationship with a new african-american employee and you know they they bond as you know people usually do in these uh kind of bland race relation movies so there you go uh moving on we've got she dies tomorrow which is amy simetz's new sorta thought this was kind of like a horror movie going into it but it's not really actually it's more of like a existential drama of sorts i wanted to like this more than i actually ended up liking it i liked it but you're right I, i think it doesn't i think it works better in theory like as like what it's trying to be than maybe as an actual viewing experience because it doesn't really it keeps things really vague i mean basically the premise is that a bunch of people start to 
fear that they're going to die tomorrow and it becomes this contagious thing where everybody they tell has the same fear of they're gonna uh... yeah and i think my issue with it was that instead of kind of like digging inward on the main character it kind of splinters so it becomes a bunch of sketches instead no i agree i think it sort of loses its power a bit i I like when it splinters the first few times i think jane adams character is great i liked the i like the awkward scene with the birthday party with christmas cena and all of that but then, yeah, it starts to splinter too much and there's too many characters. There's a lot of cameos from sort of famous people that pop up. You can tell it's kind of like a passion project that she got a lot of friends to help out on. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, I like that she made this movie and it does feel like a really personal vision from her, from Amy Simetz, who uh, this is her second feature. Uh, her first one was a kind of noirish movie called Sun Don't Shine. She also directed most of the Girlfriend Experience TV show that was produced by Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, so I, I like her as a director i think she's got a lot of personal vision and i just like the idea of this movie a lot even if it doesn't necessarily stick the landing that much but um i would say it's definitely worth a watch yeah it almost feels like at times that it's afraid to kind of question the reality of what the character is going through so instead it decides to like reintroduce the concept with someone different which is definitely like a writing trick which is like "Ah, i don't really want to deal with it or leave it more obtuse than it needs to be so let's go somewhere else you're right and then that kind of ends up right she writes herself into a corner a bit yeah, exactly. and it kind of just like ends it just it doesn't even really feel like it has an ending it just kind of like stops you get it? at a you certain get it? point and yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, right. which is like yeah theor- i guess if you want to think about it theoretically like that all right it makes sense but as a viewing experience you know i i can see it and that same kind of obtuse filmmaking can be seen in the next film on this list absolutely and that would be the war with grandpa with <laughs> my starring mr bobby de niro i believe this i was- want to fuck a horse <laughs> I believe this was the film that unseated Tenet at the box office, did it not? I feel, <laughs> Perhaps. I feel like this was the one. Uh, yeah, so this is another, you know, the De Niro in the grandpa universe, I guess. Uh, <laughs> did, he, did he play the same bad grandpa? No, from it, the this is film? not a sequel to Dirty Grandpa, although that would be a lot funnier. Uh, but this Dirty Grandpa, yeah, that's right. This is a fa- full-on family film, so, you know, you can take... And apparently this is a holiday film, too. This was set during Christmas, or at least there's Christmas trees all in the back, so... Uh, l- listen to this cast, it's got... Nero, Uma Thurman, Christopher Walken, Jane Seymour. Yeah, like this is this is prestige right here, you know? Like the Irishman racked up all these awards last year, so I guess the war with Grandpa. Do you think that at some point uh, Robert De Niro goes, uh, you talking to me? <laughs> he definitely does. There's no If he doesn't do that, he does another line from something. <laughs> uh, moving on, we've got uh, another classy film here, the latest Liam Neeson action flick, Honest Thief. Which has got a really great basic title. I love how the titles of his movies are just getting more and more basic every time he releases one. So, Did you see that Twitter thread online about Liam Neeson peeing his pants? I had no <laughs> idea that was a thing. I can't believe I'd never heard about it. Me neither. Before. It's wild. Like there's like dozens and dozens of photos of him clearly having pissed his yeah, pants like it's to the at first you look at a few and you're like, oh well maybe he like spilled something there or whatever. It's like, no, no, he's like Clearly, he's got a problem with his uh, with his bladder. Yeah, maybe he has a medical. I mean, condition. maybe he has a medical condition, which could happen. And supposedly he's been drinking a lot. Maybe his dick is too big and it can't hold in that bit. I love how he's just so like cool and whatever about taking photos. Oh yeah, photos. he's a king. Like he's like, oh yeah, I'll take a photo. I just shit and piss myself. I don't care. In all of these photos, I mean, some of them he does look really drunk in, but some of them 
he just looks like you know he's out for a stroll or something and he's taking a photo with a fan you know he's got like no qualms about mm-hmm. it so and uh the, just a giant piss stain yeah we don't want to judge maybe it's a thing yeah exactly so anyway he plays a thief in this that i guess is honest or something but you know give it <laughs> Give it, a, give it a try. That's all you got That's all for I got. me. That's all I got. Honest thief. Uh, next up in the action department, we have Echo Boomers as well, which is a film starring Michael Shannon, uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, and Alex Pettifer uh, about college students who decide to rob banks or something to get back at the corporate institution i don't know it's like some millennial sort of like occupy wall street kind of themed thing I don't oh know. yeah i hear it's uh very not good it looks terrible but you know if you need an action fix and there's not much else you know maybe maybe it'll be okay uh we've also got infidel which is starring jim caviezel as a uh as a man who gets kidnapped while he's in cairo and his wife goes to try and find him and save him it's from the director of the stoning of soraya m which he did with jim caviezel about a decade ago which was definitely a more serious kind of film this is more of like an action movie I don't know. Jim Caviezel doesn't really uh, do much for anybody Does these days. Does he time travel to kill Jesus in it? Um, I don't think there's any time travel in this one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but next up, we've got Alone, the other Alone from this year from John Hyams, which I oh, know yeah, you're a fan of. Oh, yeah, great movie. Very simple uh, kind of survival thriller where a woman gets picked up by a random man on the road while she's moving uh, to a different town and he holds her in his little cabin she escapes and uh, uh the chase is afoot that's pretty much all it is oh it yeah. sounds good i really want to see this i do like john hyams and yeah i've heard this this has gotten some great reviews this year too i feel like it's one of the better reviewed movies of the year actually. oh yeah very very good cool uh next up we've got the craft legacy speaking of well-reviewed movies um have you seen this I one not. uh i love the original craft <laughs> Uh, but not enough to really care what they're doing for like a reboot, especially one that I heard was not very good. So I don't know. This is Blumhouse, <laughs> a... right? Didn't Blumhouse do this? That's right. I think it was supposed to be a theatrical film, too. It was, yeah, and then just kind of got waylaid. But um, eh, I don't know. I can't really work up too much energy for this one. Uh, but continuing, we got a lot of horror movies here, so let's blaze through. We've got The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I hear is really good, actually, from uh, Jim Cummings, the director of Thunder Road, which is a really acclaimed indie comedy from a few years ago. Uh, this is a new werewolf movie. Have you seen this yet? No, no, I have not. I have not seen any Jim Cummings movies, but I see him endlessly on Twitter being like, follow your dreams you can do it well that's nice because yeah i mean from all from everything i hear he's a nice guy and he makes good movies so cool uh we've got the dark and the wicked which is the new film from brian bertino who made the strangers i feel like this one is gonna be a bummer if i had to take a guess yeah i did see this one uh people really like this film it's definitely one of the better reviewed horror movies of the year uh i thought it was kind of mad it's it's the kind of thing you've seen like a thousand times before where you know a couple of adult siblings go back to their parents farmhouse as their father's dying and their mother's like having a mental breakdown and oh there might be a possessed some sort of entity in the house that's wreaking havoc i it's got it's one of those like slow burn horror i feel like it's the same kind of issue i had with like relic when we talked about that a few months ago it's just like a slow burn to like nothing really to me and all the scares you've seen before isn't that his entire filmography yeah i mean i like the strangers i have to admit I, i'm a fan of the original Ugh. strangers yeah it's okay yeah i know i know i don't know that one really worked for me what about the monster or the one with the evil clown that he made you know i haven't seen any of his other films i kept meaning to catch up with his stuff and this is the first one i've seen since the strangers so 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like he's a bit of a, a one-trick pony, this Brian Bertino fellow. Uh, but otherwise, we've got The Beach House, which is another Shudder uh, title, which I've been hearing great things about, but I didn't have a chance to check out. Uh, basically kind of like a relationshipy horror movie where like a couple goes to a beach house and there's another couple there. I thought it was about like a virus or something like that. Am I thinking of a different movie? They're being kind of va- – no, that that is what it's about. I think it's – yeah, it's about a couple that goes to this house and there's another couple there that they don't know and then weird stuff starts to happen, including this like potential virus that's taking over everything uh, i've heard really good things about this but i cannot say i have seen it but it's on shutter if you want to check it out and then buy the blu-ray after otherwise we've got triggered which is um <laughs> a really lame horror movie from this year about a bunch of 20 somethings who wake up in the woods with bomb vests strapped to themselves with timers on them and they have to kill each other to get more time so that they don't blow up. It's kind of like a battle royale sort of Hunger Games thing, but with a more like horror edge. Oh, God. Is the tagline like there's no safe spaces it, or something Yeah, like well, that? that's the thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't say this movie. This movie's definitely trying to be cheeky with the whole like this Triggered This is the second title. film to be called Triggered in like a year. This one's from Alistair Orr, who made uh, from a house on Willow Street uh, last, which uh, I know some people. Right. So, uh, that's a South African or an Australian film? South African director. And this film was actually shot all in South Africa, but it's trying to be an American film, like it takes place in America. But all the actors, I think, are South African and everything. Um, I don't know. They're trying to be, like, funny with the whole, like, triggered title. And they try and make some sort of, like, bad commentary here and there. It's just really lame. So I would not recommend. We've got Don't Look Back, which is certainly the most generic title of the week. Um yeah, this is a new movie called Don't Look Back from Jeffrey Reddick, who is the creator of the Final Destination series. He's the guy who like wrote the first one, and he's written a bunch of other stuff. He directed this. I think this is actually the first movie he's directed himself, and it's essentially just a Final Destination ripoff, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> he's like, this is all I got. This is my one trick. It's a different plot, but it's kind of the same. Basically, he's trying to make a comment on how people don't help anybody in need and like when people like accidents happen on the street or people are getting beat up people will just stand around and film with their cell phones instead of like helping out so he's trying to like you know guilt us all into feeling bad about that because the plot is about a bunch of people who witness a dude get beat up like fatally beaten up on the street but don't do anything and then they all start to die one by one after so it does have that final destination like it's like that episode the last episode of Seinfeld yeah exactly (laughs) basically it's just it's like that mixed with final destination so um, it's really bad though. It's like, it basically feels like a lifetime movie. It's so cheaply made. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of got some, if you're looking for a bad horror movie, that's kind of entertaining. You could do worse than this. Otherwise we've got another, the second release from the new cauldron label, uh, Abracadabra, which is a new film and it's like a giallo throwback sort yeah, of Yeah, it's like a neo giallo. Like we want to look like a giallo as much as possible, even though we're actually still shot on digital video. Exactly. Which, yeah, I feel like a lot of these new giallo things just kind of look really cheap and bad. So I feel like this could be one of those. Um, moving on, we've got a new movie from SRS, actually, called Elliot. Um, I don't know if you know much Ooh, about this. This is actually really interesting. I'm just looking at it uh, now. I'm going to have to pick yeah, this one up. This sounds interesting. 
Oh, totally. And yeah, it's part of their line that has released all of the um, Polonia stuff, brother stuff that we have That's weird because this about. is a new one from 2017. This is a new one. So I don't know. Yeah, and it hasn't been on DVD before now. It looks like it's got sort of an almost like Shinya Tsukamoto sort of vibe Yeah, to I think it's it like shot on video thing as well. Yeah, it's got like this sort of like what cyberpunk sort of feel to it. I don't know. I'm intrigued by it, but I don't know much about it. It doesn't seem like it's played much. So this is kind of like a new premiere here from SRS, which I guess is kind of the only way they can get their hands on things, honestly. Wait, so. wait, wait, Mark, aren't you going to get that puppet Keiju film that SRS is putting out? Shadows over Maybe. something? Maybe. I don't know. I have not seen that one. Is that already out or is that uh, coming yep, out? Yep, it's already out on the official website. Website. I'm just curious of like what I guess because you're going yeah, through a middleman, you're not going SRS directly through them. stuff from our supplier. MVD is one of our MVD is not only a label, they're also a supplier, so we get a lot of stuff from MVD. Yeah, it's called Howl from Beyond the Fog is the name of the film. Okay, so I'm sure that they will have it. Sometimes they have a delay on the stuff, so I guess maybe sometimes it's available directly from these companies and then uh, it gets in our hands. So I'm sure we'll get it at some point. So what's next? All right, moving on. We've got, oh, wait, another. This could be the most generic title of the list. Uh, the Call. <laughs> How many movies have there been called The Call? Uh, so this is not the Halle Berry movie, The Call, from like a few years back. This is a horror movie with Lynn Shay, who is in every bad looking, you know, straight to VOD horror movie these days. The so. sister of, um, what's his name? Uh, Rob Shay, the owner of New Line. Or the oh is is she really the sister of Robert Shea? I I honestly did not yes, know that. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, she is. Well, good on her. Uh, but yeah, this is a new movie with her and Mr. Jigsaw himself, Tobin Bell. So <laughs> you know it's got to be good, right? I don't know. Yep, it's, it's got to like... be good. It was Jigsaw. All right, what's next? Then we got uh, the Closet, which is a Korean horror movie. Sounds kind of interesting, but uh, I don't know much about it. Honestly, we've also got a... all right. Moving on, <laughs> Korean uh, noir kind of movie that's supposed to be pretty yeah, cool called pulp fiction-esque yeah is peace what I read. clawing at straws which is from art exploitation they're putting this out i've heard really good things about this sort of like people are comparing it to like home brothers type like neo-noir stuff so yeah uh, i'm intrigued in that got another a uh cheng cheng title called my prince edward which is a chinese drama about a woman who's contemplating marriage uh from mpi we've got the german lesson which is a german film based on a very famous german book apparently about a boy in post-world war ii who has to write about his memories of World War II. So it's right up Justin's alley. Uh, we've got Madre from Strand. The, this is a um, Spanish film uh, about a woman whose uh, 10-year-old son, I think, disappears. And then, like, a few years later, she sees another kid who looks like the her son and begins this weird relationship. It's one of those kind of movies. Um, got a lot of great reviews. Uh, but I have not seen this one yet. We've got... No Hard Feelings, which is a LGBT romance set against the um, Iranian refugee situation in Germany, uh, which is supposed to be really good. Uh, we've got some TV. We've got Avenue. We've got a double dose of Hugh Laurie here, actually. We've got <laughs> Avenue. I know. Everybody's favorite. Ha Dr. House himself. <laughs> House? You know, he's rough, but he's got a heart of gold. We've got Avenue 5 season one, which is the new show from uh, Armando Iannucci, the creator of Veep. Right. And, it's yeah. the like, uh, Star Trek kind of like um, 
Starship Titanic. Yeah, it's yeah. about like a bunch of rich people on a ship that on a spaceship that gets waylaid or something. Um, we've also and then we've got Roadkill, which is a British miniseries where Hugh Laurie plays a politician who gets into some hot water over something. So there you go. We've also got Sometimes, Always, Never, which is not, <laughs> not the, to be confused not the same with... movie as Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which I know a lot of people think. This is a British or Irish, I think, uh, like caper comedy with bill nye and sam riley playing like a father-son team who are like solving a mystery Ooh, bill nye the sign of quality you know you won't have a bad movie if he's in it our customers love them some bill nye that's for sure uh we've got the racer which is a uh, irish film i believe uh about a uh cyclist who basically is discredited because of a doping scandal but now he's reinstated and he's about to start um, on like a whatever the bike tournaments or whatever the bike races are called in ireland i'm like tour de france is that a bike thing i don't yeah, know if that that's a bike i'm not thing. sure if that's what he's doing but you know it's about cyclists and that kind of thing we've got aviva from strand this is a transatlantic romance movie from boaz yakin who is the director <gasps> of my man boaz yeah, yakin director of movies like fresh and remember the titans um, hey, hey don't forget safe the jason Statham movie he also made a really cool indie movie called death and love about a decade or so ago which i would highly recommend uh but yeah he's an interesting director this is a new film he's made that's kind of got under the radar but it's getting some pretty good reviews uh next up we've got a couple canadian titles nadia butterfly uh from maison catois uh which is was supposed to be one of the biggest Maison sure sorry i always get that wrong <laughs> this was supposed to be one of the biggest canadian films this year because it was selected to play at can before can got canceled uh it's a uh, French Canadian film from Pascal Plant about a swimmer, Olympic swimmer, who's basically like in her early twenties but already facing the end of her career. So it kind of deals with how like athletes like that find their careers over so fast. Supposed to be really excellent. I've been meaning to check this out. I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, we've also got From the Vine, which is an Italian Canadian co-production starring Joe Pantoliano as a guy who goes back to Italy to reconnect with his roots or something like that and and wine so you know. <laughs> oh god all right moving on listen i already have my russell crowe release got directed uh wine based comedy if you wanted a good year but with joe pantoliano then here you go <laughs> and who doesn't want that joey pants <laughs> uh i got some more tv the expanse season four i know a lot of people really love this show i've never seen an episode but you know season four is here i think i canceled right after season three and then they brought it back for season four or something uh, yeah it was like a netflix show or something like that right your yawns i feel like you have the no idea what this expanse. is all right yep. there's a few more let's go through uh we got the place of no words which is a new film from um writer actor director mark weber who uh has directed a few films kind of like a fantasy drama thing about a father-son relationship i don't know it looks kind of interesting i'm intrigued we got uh the argument which is a comedy um two couples who get into an argument at a dinner party that it goes unresolved and then they decide to recreate the dinner party to like redo the argument over and over again to see who's right uh i think that's a little thing called um what is it no what is the nathan fielder episode where he recreates the play oh i i actually don't i haven't really watched nathan for you so i am um, i what? know i know Every, everybody what? tells me it's right up my alley and i just Why haven't. haven't you watched okay what what reason have you not sat down and watched nathan for you uh no reason i i actually do want to sit down and watch it i just never have this week it. mark you're watching nathan for you this week all right i'll watch the whole thing so is this like a nathan for you no sketch no or something? there's one called 
uh, I don't know. It's like something not required. And the gimmick is because every episode he has to help a business and there's a rule that you can smoke on stage. So he makes a bar into an experimental um, uh, like a play. And as long as there's people watching, it counts as a play. So he gets two random people to sit at the side <laughs> of a bar behind like a velvet rope and just watch um you know a night <laughs> at the bar and at the end the two people say oh yeah that was really fun and experimental so nathan thinks oh i need to recreate this so he writes like a four-hour play that recreates that night at the bar <laughs> down to exact detail great that does sound like right up my alley so yeah i, I know i would be into that all right, we've got uh, Dating Amber, which is another LGBT uh, film about uh, two school friends who decide to start to pretend uh, like to have a straight relationship in an effort to fit in. Indie film gotten a lot of good reviews this year. Uh, we've got Chick Fight uh, with Malin Akerman, uh, Bella Thorne, and Alec Baldwin as a, it's a comedy <laughs> about a underground uh, female fight club or something like that. Uh, we've got The Opening Act, which is a... Uh, comedy about stand-up comedians got a lot of stand-up comedians in it um it's about a guy who's his dream is to be a stand-up comedian uh but he's working like a boring day job and but now he gets the chance to open for his idol or something like that oh yeah wait 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 the opening act isn't that uh i'm just looking it up now oh no i got confused there's another like movie that came out that starred uh, why can't i think of his name billy crystal oh, standing up falling down yeah yeah we talked about that about I think that came out at the beginning of this, this year. This is a ripoff of that. You know, the lesser standing up falling yeah, down, Yeah, this is I guess. like a similar kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, then we've got Audrey, which is just a new documentary on Audrey Hepburn. Uh, we've got On the President's Orders, which is actually a really great documentary from PBS. I saw it at Hot Docs a couple of years ago. It's about the drug war in the Philippines and uh, that Rodrigo Duterte has uh, basically um, slaughtered thousands of people, especially more low-income people because of this. And it goes basically embeds cameras with both the police force and the people who live in the slums and shows you like what it's really like on the ground. Really intense stuff and it's also just really insightful especially with uh dealing with the police and like he follows this one particular police chief around a lot who is just like so full of hot air and is consistently like contradicting himself and just making an ass out of himself while thinking that he's like you know fighting the good fight but um yeah this is i would highly recommend this is one of my favorite documentaries of recent years um we've got nelson algren live which is a new release from olive so olive they're still around um and yeah, this is – so Nelson Algren was the writer of the book uh, The Man with the Golden Arm, which was turned into the movie uh, from Frank Sinatra. He also like did a lot of stage theater work and monologues. And this is a live stage performance of Willem Dafoe reading a bunch of Nelson Algren stuff. So, Man, Willem Dafoe, he's got so much time on his hands. He appears in so many things. Yeah. I mean this was from like four or five years ago I think and is just getting put out now. But yeah. Yeah, before still... he started making like five Abel Ferreira films a year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's got, he's got too much on his plate with Abel Ferrara now to do stuff like that. Uh, and then on continuing with the documentaries, we've got Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story, which I feel like – did you see this one? Or I did no? not. I've read a, a book, Sick Little Monkeys, on Ren and Stimpy. Oh, boy. The creator of Ren and Stimpy, John Kay. He's a huge piece of shit. Oh, yeah. And I think this documentary goes into that too. I don't think this – Yes, yeah, it does. So, it, it can't not – it can't yeah, avoid it. So, so. I, I hear good things about this. I feel like it takes a pretty – broad look at the entire Ren and Stimpy phenomenon and then the creator as well. 
Ah, and then let's round out this episode with some great prime VOD material mm-hmm, here. We've got mm-hmm. Battle of the Bulge, Winter War, which is the long-awaited team-up, a uh, re-team-up of Billy Zane and Tom Berenger for a generic-looking... What? Battle of... Oh, man, I didn't know they were in this. I would have picked this yeah, for Billy Zane. They, they are both in this, and I'm sure it's a very cheap-looking World War II movie. So. Probably takes place in that one room Billy Zane is always yeah, in. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. It's from a director who's done, like, a ton of these kind of, like, VOD war movies over the last few years, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. The Great War, Wonderland. Steven Luke, so... Oh, he looks so young, too. Damn. He does right i think he acts in these two so <laughs> i hope they're like starring vehicles for himself yeah it's just like he's got this cottage industry of like bad looking cheap war oh, movies oh billy zane so. is like seventh build so oh he's... yeah i feel like he's not in this one all that much but mm, i mean yeah. he never is let's be honest no. <laughs> and then we've got my man nicholas cage is back baby with jujitsu did you want to finally know, sit down and watch it I, I did finally sit down and watch this and you know what i didn't think it was bad as i thought it was gonna be but i so many endless boring fight scenes you said it was so bad that i was expecting it to be like even worse than it was Mm -hmm. and you know i thought there was some sort of technical expertise to some of the fight scenes i didn't think it was all that yeah they're just boring that's what that that was my issue yeah i i will say i didn't care at all about the plot or the characters or anything it's just like so badly written it's got like a fantasy sci-fi kind of aspect to it which i just didn't really care about it's got a lot of like faces in it you'd recognize from like tony jaw frank grillo so Alain i gotta Lucy. point out like I, I feel like he's probably a very nice person. I know people that know him, but Alain Moussi is such a boring actor. He's so boring. I agree. I was just going to say, I don't think I've seen him in much. I he, he was seen in the kickboxer movies. Right. Yeah, he was in those, um, which I haven't seen. So I, I just don't. Yeah, I, I felt he was pretty bland. Like he didn't really bring much charisma. I mean, I guess he's a good fighter, but I mean, that's all I could. I mean, say. this movie, like one of the big issues I have with it is like one of those like CGI, like you mentioned, fantasy movies. Which, like, yeah, oh. the CGI is bad. And Nick Cage, you know, Nick Cage does his Nick Cage thing. He's pretty over the top. He pr- plays some, like, I don't even remember. He plays some, like, mystic man sort of thing. Uh, yeah, he's not, at least he's not, like, a sleepy Nick Cage in this, like he is in some no, of the actual yeah, movies. he's definitely, yeah, I would say he's more engaged in this film than a lot of this kind of VOD stuff he's done, but he's not, like, he's a supporting character, and I don't know, he's, it's not enough to really make me that interested. I've, like, I watched this a couple weeks ago, and I've already forgotten most of it, so I can tell you that's how much of an impression it left. Um, and then, let's end off the week with our other main man, Mr. David Arquette here. So he's had a a very prolific year because I watched him in Spree recently. He was also in 12-hour shift as well. He had a main role in Uh, that. And now this is kind of, I guess, the crowning achievement of 2020 for him. This is the documentary about him. You cannot kill David Arquette, which, you know, you would think a David Arquette, you know, a year ago, if you were saying like a David Arquette documentary was coming out, you felt like, you know, nobody would watch that. But this has actually been like played South by Southwest. It played Fantasia this year. It's been getting a lot of rave reviews. Um, and it basically follows David Arquette's re-emergence in the wrestling scene because I had totally forgotten about this, but when Ready to Rumble came out way back in the early 2000s, he did like a bunch of promo spots on WWE or WCW, I think it was at the time, right? Well, the big thing is that he won like the Royal Ru- whatever it was, I don't remember. And that's like haunted him ever I since. I know, well, because he won sort of like 
by a fluke, right? Yeah, well, it he said like, he didn't so, want to win, and, like, he won they made at, like, a wrestling win, yeah. fed that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> like, exactly, right? And so everybody, like, shit all over him. It was like, oh, it was just, like, a PR stunt, which it was, uh, you know. But David Arquette was a really big fan of wrestling and really, like, it, he really took it hard that people thought he was, like, ruining the sport of wrestling. So now this documentary follows him in present day. Well, I guess a couple of years ago this started. He decided to actually become a wrestler for real. So he kind of, like, tours, like, uh, sort of like a lot of uh, small town sort of wrestling events. And he kind of, like, works his way from, like, the ground up to try and prove himself again as, like, a real wrestler. Um, yeah, I thought this, I, I saw this back at Fantasia this year, and I thought this was pretty entertaining. Uh, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's, like, the, some, like, amazing. It's not, like, a revelation or anything about who David Arquette is. Yeah, it's is. not some, like, revelatory doc or anything. A lot of people are like, oh, my God, I'll never look at David Arquette the same way again. Like, it's basically, it basically portrays David Arquette just as you expect David Arquette to be. <laughs> so, I wouldn't say it really illuminates more about his life. They start to go into some aspects of how he you know has struggled with certain things over the years but they never really dive into anything enough it's really just about him trying to be a wrestler again which is certainly entertaining in its own way but uh, i wouldn't say it's like like essential essential viewing but I, I would say it's fun it is definitely a fun documentary it's fun watching him try and be a wrestler again it's fun watching him get his ass kicked like multiple times in the ring by like actual real sort of like amateur wrestlers who like want to like show him you know basically show him the ropes and kick the shit out of him because they think he's just like a hollywood movie star <laughs> you want to take them aside and be like he hasn't been a hollywood movie star for like 20 years guys i know right <laughs> but it's funny they like taunt him when he's in the ring and they just call him hollywood and everything and they just like they just beat the shit out of him so i i found that pretty entertaining and you know i've always had a soft spot for david arquette as we've talked about many times on this program and it was just fun watching this kind of like culmination of his career because you know what at the end of the day i feel like david arquette trying to be a wrestler that's kind of like his final form anyway like he's always been this kind of like buffoon buffoonish kind of actor i feel like the wrestling arena is actually like the perfect stage for him well he says he's done though like no more wrestling for him for obvious reasons yeah because i think he also is getting older and it does go into like how he's getting injured and like like seriously injured in this documentary and i think his doctor's like uh david you got you gotta like be careful like the classic so, homer simpson like if you get hit one more yeah, time yeah exactly they're talking about like all these end because he's get he's really getting the shit kicked because it's not like him just doing like sort of the fake wrestling thing that we're all familiar with it is him going to like there's even one great sequence where he goes to like a backwoods sort of like wrestling event where it's just like and it's just like a bunch of guys and they just really beat they don't hold back they just beat him up so um but yeah i i had fun with this documentary i, I would say i would say check it out if you want a good time and keep your eyes peeled for david arquette showing up i assume briefly and to be killed in the new screen movie i know i'm looking for i'm kind of looking forward to that i feel like it's gonna be pretty bad overall but it's directed by the guys who uh made yeah uh, ready or not and i'm in the minority of not liking that i movie. still never saw that movie it just never really appealed to me that much and with scream i just feel like it's got you gotta have west can't we be done know, no more screams i know like even scream 4 i hated back in the day i never liked that one 
and even that had Wes Craven involved. I feel like when you when you don't even have Wes Craven involved anymore, it's just like what's all right. Well, that's it for uh, this week's episode of the Base Street Video Podcast. We're back on a regular schedule, so after this, a week from now, there'll be a new episode that you there can will. listen to. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. I hope you uh, find some titles in there that you want to. <laughs> Please want. come to Base Street and buy them. Toronto's in lockdown right now. Wait, are you guys doing anything by phone or shipping or what's going on yeah, there? Yeah, so we're still kind of operating the same way. We are still open. Open, regular hours where obviously you can't come into the store but we're doing curbside pickups and we're doing shipping so you know call us we can ship stuff out or set up a time for you to come down and pick stuff up we can take payments over the phone we can we can do it all so we're definitely open we're operational everything's just kind of status all right here. so until next week my name is Justin Clue and I'm Mark Hanson. keep on buying and keep on renting <laughs> Yeah, David Arquette movies. These movies and many more are available at your local video store. Ready to rumble, you know, an under unseen classic. Uh, wait, what was Mob the one? Town. Mob yeah. Town? Oof. Don't don't rent that one. I'm gonna have to sell that rental off at a certain <laughs> already. <laughs> that is a classic piece of Street Video Podcast uh, memorabilia. Oh yeah, I'll hold on to that rental of Mob Town for as long as <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, frame it on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Just one one or two people rented it, and that's it.